Welcome to season two of the Awesome Women podcast. In season one, we took a wide focus on women in all areas of the community, construction, automotive, mining, healthcare, farming, hospitality, and many more. Season two will be no different. In fact, we have a fabulous lineup of women, all with amazing stories to share with you. Season two, however, has a small difference as we will also be speaking to awesome men. For many of us, we have had male mentors who have provided a guiding hand throughout our careers. They too have inspiring stories and we will be sharing them with you. I, Amanda Bulo, Awesome Women in Construction founder, have enjoyed recording these podcasts. It's now over to you to enjoy these at a time that suits you. Thank you for listening to the Awesome Women podcast series. Hi, everybody. Well, it's time to have another Awesome Women podcast and we are in our second season. So today I would love for everybody to um, welcome Trish Jenkins. Hi, Trish. Hello. Hey. Now, Trish, I've got a little bit of a bio here, so I'll read that out and then we're going to have a chat about it. So Trish Jenkins never expected doing her job would land her in prison. Yet, <laughs> yet this wife and mother of three little girls learned more in eight months in prison than she did in 20 years in the business world. Um, where do we go from there? Oh, <laughs> oh look, yes. <laughs> Ta-da, surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I was working for a fellow who ran a managed fund. What I didn't know is that he was a crook. And my job was to make sure everybody got paid their returns each month until the time that I couldn't pay them because he was not releasing the funds for various reasons. The market's doing this, the market's doing that. And it wasn't guaranteed. Uh, but really what he was doing was what's known as a Ponzi scheme, which uh, some people may or may not know that that is where you put your money into something and the returns that you're getting you think is profit, but it's actually a little bit of your own money coming back. And they keep having to put more money in in order to keep it going. But eventually, it, it's not sustainable and it implodes. Well, unbeknownst to me, that's what this was. And I had six figures from, from our mortgages and things. We had done pretty well. We bought houses and done, you know, so we were, we were up for a good investment. Um, so, yeah, we had six figures in it ourselves. Yeah, right. Uh, and when he wasn't paying, I had, oh, for a number of months, I was the port of call for people asking where their money was, when are they going to get paid? And, you know, I had a certain amount of training in finance, but I wasn't equipped to deal with people who are in that much distress. So I had people phoning, emailing, turning up at my house, asking, begging, demanding money for me to do something about it because I was the contact person. And he was becoming increasingly difficult to catch, you know, to, to reach on the phone and so on. And finally, I got a hold of him and I said, look, there's money over here. Can I use that just for now um, to, to help people out until, you know, next time? And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, do that because uh, next month it'll be fine because of this and this. And, and the thing is, Amanda, by that time, my objectivity and my resilience had just eroded and I, because I wasn't equipped uh, and I hadn't been in that environment before where it was that kind of distress see now I can spot it now yeah. I can spot the warning signals very very early and I've written a whole book on that so that other people don't get into trouble but then I didn't know and so I caved under pressure 
and I paid people with money that was meant for something else in the business. And that, even though I didn't steal it, that was a breach of the Corporations Act. So regardless of what he did, I, I did the wrong thing. I failed, thinking that if I do this now, it'll be better later. You, know, you think you're doing this little thing, but it's actually a big thing. Well, and you, so you saw some happened. money available and thought you'd help out those that were needing it. Look, I did, and I didn't. I wasn't dispassionate. You know, I needed. I should have been professional, like these cold-hearted finance people, and just said, "Look, tough luck. It's just not happening this month. Yep. Bad luck," and just left it at that and let them suffer and let them lose their money, uh, including me. That's what I should have done, but. I wanted to fix it. I tried to fix a problem that wasn't mine to fix and I lost my objectivity. Now that happened in 2005 and it wasn't until 2009 that I actually went to prison because it took, yeah, I, we underwent two years of liquidation where all our assets were sold up. Then when we were stone cold broke, I was served with papers charging me with fraud. Now, I don't like that F word and I don't like the other one, but you know what? I'd rather hear the other one, yep. <laughs> you know, um, I might've dropped it a few times at the, but uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, and a few other things I'm sure. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not an F word I'm fond of, um, but I misused the funds and, and I, um, 2008 was the global financial crisis. And so Muggins here turns up to court for her penalty in January 09 and I got the maximum. So I could have got a fine. I could have been sternly spoken to because I didn't actually steal it, but that's what happened. I went to court in January and I came home in September. Wow. Yeah. My children were, I have, uh, my husband and I have three little girls. Well, they're grown now. At the time, Chelsea was 10 and our identical twin girls were seven. So they were without their mummy for the best part of a year. Wow. Mm. Crazy. Mm. Yeah. Something so, I shouldn't say simple, but, it, you know, your head, your heart was in the right place, you know, took you to, you know, and had it been a different time in life, a different year, it could have been a completely different outcome. Could have been. The prosecutor said to me that uh, it just totally depends on the judge that you get on the day. And that may be true, but look, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, isn't it? So um, if I can prevent it from happening to someone else, yep. then I will. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned even before I went to prison was that I had to look for the lessons in what I was going through. And that's when I started to research and write my book on fraud warning signals, things that women particularly need to know before they part with their money or even their heart. Now, mine was not a romantic relationship, mm -hmm. but in my research, I found that very often women get into trouble financially because of a relationship. And that could be a romance or it could be a friendship or it could oh, yeah. be a business relationship because we have to listen to our heart uh, and not our, and, well, actually, no, let me rephrase. We don't listen to our heart. We have to listen to our gut and do our homework. Yeah. How many times do we get told that? Well, that's right. You know, very often, well, there's, this is the difference. So we, we need to listen to our head. There, there are absolutely objective things that we need to check out. Mm -hmm. There are things we need to verify. Yeah. 
yeah. an opportunity and in a potential relationship. We have got, while before we get too emotional, there are intelligent brain things that we need to check off yeah. objectively before we allow our emotions to come into play. And then people say, oh, just follow your heart. No, no, because our heart wants whatever the heart wants. It's, 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 it's totally about its need. What there is, there is your, don't mistake the heart for your gut because it is a niggly little voice. It's, 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 it, it is in a particular part of the brain, but it feels like it's in your solar plexus. Yeah. It is that feeling of, oh, it's not, it's not quite right here. But because he's so handsome, because he's so sexy, because I'm lonely um, and because of whatever else, now, it's not always about a romance, but when we want something really badly, our heart will betray us. Yeah. So, you know, and it might not necessarily be romance, as I said, it might be that you have um, a charity cause that you are absolutely passionate about. You might have a handicapped child that needs, you know, a special needs child that, that you just need that more money to, to make it happen. And you want this opportunity to be true. When you want something badly to be true, you lose your objectivity. So that's why you need to know what to look for. And that's what I wished I had learned. And so I created this book that I didn't publish until after I got home because I didn't know what my future looked like. And then I had to go to a place where, look, I, I've known some roughies and toughies, um, but they weren't normally in my world. You know, I, I come from a fairly ordinary middle-class kind of, white collar world so there was an adventure <laughs> you, you want to talk about diversity oh my goodness yeah <laughs> pretty extreme in there yeah so there was no no special section of the prison for someone who's just done a little mistake you were in there with everybody else yes everybody goes to general population to start with everybody goes to the same area to start with and then uh, you're, it's supposed to take a couple of weeks for them to assess you and then they assess you. And if you are deemed to be um, non-violent, low risk, then you'll be moved to a less security place. But, you know, Amanda, corrective services is not a customer service industry. There is no incentive to do your job uh, above and beyond or even diligently uh, and uh, it took months so I was there for a few months and then then I was moved to minimum security so I was in Brisbane Women's Correctional Centre and then I was moved to Helena Jones Community Centre which is still prison but it's a minimum security on Sandgate Road in Albion in the city big green fence you can drive past it it's right there near uh, down the before, just before it swings off to go to McDonald's and then there's Gore Street down. So it's, it's on this bend. You wouldn't know what it is. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's like, it looks like a boarding house. And I was there for three months uh, and then I was returned to the prison for the final stretch. So, and I've got to say, I actually coped better with the roughies yeah. in prison than I did with these women who were considered 
uh, I don't really know what phrase to use because to say that they're a bit more upper class is not fair. Um, they're probably a bit more educated, a bit more sophisticated, a bit better at being sneaky, perhaps. Yeah. A bit being near them. Okay, people ask me what prison is like. And the best way I can describe it, especially for your listeners who are mostly women, yeah. uh, imagine, remember um, around about the ninth grade at school with all the mean girls, mm. you know, that age when they're at their worst. Uh, so it was great fun. <laughs> it was very challenging. And it, it just, it took all of my resolve to deal with that and all of my people skills and training that I'd had in, you know, customer service and sales and that sort of thing. But a funny thing happened while I was there. And at first, and this is often the case with people, even in the workplace, you, you see people how they are and they give an impression and you respond according to that impression and you can judge them according to that impression and you might avoid them or you might take to them or you might, you know, you, 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 have, you create certain opinions about people. And the thing is, where we used, you know, you, I used to think, you know, there's, there's criminals and regular people. Well, yeah. suddenly, you know, there's us and them. Well, suddenly I was them. Yeah. And we were wearing the same uniform. We're in the same boat. And I began to see them. I began to see past that exterior, that behavior, that impression. And I looked past that to get to know them as individuals, as people. And it turned my heart inside out. And this is one thing that I've learned from that experience that I take into building my business now and being in the workplace now is not to judge people by first impressions and even by their behaviour to start with because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know, you know, you might be working with a fella who uh, you find um, condescending and calls you love and all that sort of stuff. Um, by the way, if some, if, if we, you know, when old fellas call me love, I just call them, no worries, sweetheart. You know, I just do it right back. I don't get offended. I don't get myself all, you know, up in arms about it. Um, I don't try and educate them. That's someone else's job. Um, but if you can see past it, then you will have a different connection with that person. If you can choose to care, I mean, obviously with fellas, don't give them the wrong impression. You don't want to make them think they're going to ask you out or you're up for it or anything. And I, I get it. I get that. Um, but even with women, you know, when, when I was young and in the workforce, uh, a lot of the female managers were terrifying and they were awful. They were horrible and they were scary. And it's almost as if that generation of women, they'd reached this point of leadership and they felt like they had to act like aggressive men uh, to keep their position and to be a good leader. But we know better than that now. Yeah. You know, we don't need to be like that. But if you can connect with people, that makes all the difference. And it's much, much better for your mental health as well and your stress levels. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before you were talking about um, your book, and you mm -hmm. mentioned before we, when we were having a chat before we started to record that there's some tick um, checklists in there that can yes. help 
um, with, you know, as you mentioned before, we're going into a relationship. What's your financial status now? What's his? Where do you want to go? How do we want to do this as a partnership? Do you keep your money? Do I keep mine? Yeah. You know, they're all the questions to, there to are. ask. Yeah. And sometimes they can be difficult questions to ask. Look, they can be. And, and you don't have to go into a relationship and, and at the very start, you know, you're interrogating them. There are conversations you can have, which is just the, the getting to know you conversations. But I have checklists of things to listen for. What you want to do is you want to listen for, you know, ask about their, their past. You know, have they had a family before? You know, because some people have been married before or, or de facto before and, you know, they might have children and so on. What you're listening for is how they talk about their ex-partner how they talk about their responsibility for their children. Do they accept responsibility for their part in it breaking down? Or do they blame, do they get that, ugh, that angry kind of, oh, she was, you know, this or this. Uh, you know, if they've lost money before in a business adventure, uh, venture, I said adventure, <laughs> sometimes it's- about two. Who, who do they blame for the losses? Who do they take credit for? You know, if, if things have gone well, uh, you know, you, you're listening for their attitude behind what they've been through because that will tell you a lot about how they will navigate your relationship when things get tough. You've got to listen for those things and try to try to ignore how pretty he is and these big muscles, you know. You've got to... Plus cards and all let, that, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I know it's going to sound old-fashioned, but look... Uh, when you cross that line of intimacy, you really can lose your objectivity. There's just something in us that biologically we want to make that connection and we want to build something. And I know people have all sorts of, you know, oh, sex doesn't mean anything. You know, you, you should have sex and move on and all. Maybe. But if you want a proper relationship, uh, Sex is a distraction from intimate conversation for a lot of men. You know, it, it helps them avoid talking about their feelings, you know, yeah. that conversations about things that are important. Um, many men find them uncomfortable and will, will sort of be distracted. And so having some boundaries around your... Um, morality, it's not me. I'm not making judgments. I'm just bringing some wisdom to, you know, you know, they talk about in marketing, right? When marketing, you meet someone at a, at a networking event and say, I didn't say to you, Amanda, hi, my name's Trish. Want to get married? Yeah. You know, you want to buy, would you like to buy my stuff? Would you like to pay me thousands of dollars to give a talk to your, you know, it wasn't like that. It was, oh, let's get to know each other. And I went online and I stalked you a little bit and I looked at, you know, <laughs> sent you a, a, a message and then we talked and we, you know, there's a progress. But it seems to me that often in relationships, it's just like, he's hot, she's hot, bang, let's get it on. And, oh, look, I'm looking for somewhere to stay. Oh, stay with me for a few. Suddenly you moved in. Suddenly you're de facto's and all this pressure comes on. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you haven't filled in the gaps of the getting to know you and financially. Yeah. You know, they can put on a big show and have the flash car and all that sort of stuff and they can be in hock up to their eyeballs. And then when they're asking you for help, run. 
because I'm going to say something really old fashioned here. Am I allowed to say something sexist and old fashioned? It is not manly for a man to ask a woman to bail him out financially. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's just not, especially when it's early in a relationship. It's just they'll spin you any kind of tale. They might as well have from Nigeria written on their on their email. Yeah. Uh, and that's no offence to anyone from from Nigeria. No, no, it's... But the the second biggest target for fraud in the world are single women over forty. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, they just they just and the biggest target, by the way, are baby boomers and retirees. But and, and and that's an old statistic. I should look it up and make sure I'm still on track there. But single women over forty, usually they've they've had their marriage, they've had their divorce, or or however they do things. Their kids have grown. Um, then they think, right, um, you know, they've had their depression and and no and and that hard time, and then they emerge and they're like, you know what, I'm going to do something for myself. So they will pick themselves up. I think, blow this. I'm going to look after me now. And they and they get on top of things. They might get a nice, uh, get a better job, get re-educated. They might start a business. Yep. And uh, they go to the gym, you know, just start to feel a bit better about themselves, get around some good girlfriends, and then realise that they're lonely. And they look good. They've got success, some success going on. And that's when they have to be very careful and be proactive about who they allow into their life because some Lothario will come along and just go, I'll take that, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And any emotional baggage that you have, whether you know perhaps your parents split up and you've got rejection issues from your dad, or which is quite common, um, uh, fear and anxiety, anything like that, they can play on it. A few years back, the secret was a big, a big thing, you know, the, the, with the law of attraction. Yep. So you're looking for some um, other world help. And I'm not disrespecting that. I am a faith person. Um, you're looking for the universe to bring something along. And so you're actually putting out radar that says, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for someone and it gets picked up. And so you have to have the right filters in place. Mm-hmm to know because I'm not saying don't have a relationship I'm saying, not when, saying when, don't fall in love we're just saying be yeah. careful yeah Look, when for those of your your folk who might be in HR in construction you know they might be involved in hiring people you have short lists mm-hmm. you start with a list of candidates and you ask questions that allow you to shortlist the people yeah because you want the best fit and it's no different in relationships. You won't get someone who's necessarily perfect, but geez, you can improve the odds Yeah. if you pay attention. So we've got to put our, you know, you, you, you're women in construction. You've got to think of it like, like a construction site. You've got to have the right people in the right places. You've got to do things at the right time. You don't pour the concrete before you've got the footings in place. Yeah. 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 And you don't send the invoice until work's done till work's done yeah you've got to think like that so you know if that helps yeah um yeah so you know i want women in construction to not only be happy being in a masculine industry because let's face it it is but to be able to be strong and confident and in all of their every part of their life yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely and and everybody deserves that they do yeah 
Now you mentioned um, or in your bio, there's a, a statement that says the strongest prison bars are in your head. Yes. Big topic. Big yeah. topic. Yeah. Big so topic. give us a little bit about what you're, you know, what do you mean by that? Look, our thought life dictates the decisions we make and the things we dare to do. And in your career, you might want, you might dream of, you know, being in a particular position, but in your head, you might say, well, oh, I'm not qualified enough. I'm not smart enough. I wouldn't fit in. Um, you know, some fella told me that, you know, it's too rough for me. I mean, not that you really listen to that, but there's all sorts of self-talk yeah. from our doubts and our fears and things. Maybe it's our mother's voice in the back of our head. You know, it, it comes from places and and we don't even realise that we are limiting our potential through those things that are going on in our head. And what we've got to do is pause and go, hang on a minute. If I want to do that, oh, no, no, that's not for me. Why? Well, you take sales. Oh, I couldn't do sales. How many people would say, oh, I can't do sales? Yeah. They're frightened of it. You know, you might be an admin person and they need you to go and talk to a customer and fix something up. And that's not your field. And you're like, oh, what do I, because something's gone wrong. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, that's a prison bar in your head limiting you. But then yeah. you, but if you think, oh, I see where that's coming from. Okay. How can I? How could I do this? So you might do some reading. You might, you might do a practice with someone. And um, getting back to looking at those scary women in prison and seeing past that to who they are, when you come to that, situation where you're out of your natural comfort zone remember that that person is a person just like you they put their pants on one leg at a time just like you and you're going to put your big girl pants on yeah. and look past that and this is going to sound very unbusinesslike but you got to look at that person and say to yourself I care about this person and what they need so when you say to them, I'm really sorry that this hasn't worked out. I'm here to help. Yeah. Do what I can to help. Now, it might not be that because, you know, and here's something else that you would already, probably many of your listeners would already know. When fellas get upset and angry, generally they bluster up and they'll say a few choice words because that's what they've been, society has, and I'm not making excuses. I'm not. But that's how they've been trained. They, they don't get in touch with their feelies and talk about, hmm, I'm feeling really, you know, maybe I need to, that they're just like, Wah! like a five-year-old having a tantrum. Yeah. You cannot let that, and I'm not excusing it, but you've got to be, you've got to be kind of dispassionate, separated from that, and be a bit more, be objective, like a scientist looking at what's going on and go, huh, they're frightened. Mm -hmm. It's always fear. Fear is always behind a bad temper because they're frightened they won't get what they want. So they try and intimidate into making you fix it for them. Yeah. When you know that, I mean, you don't get intimidated by a five-year-old having a tantrum. You just go, no, you've got to get in the bath. Yeah. And you just pick them up and you put them in. Well, you can't, that's for those who, you know, if you don't have your own children, like nieces, nephews, whatever, yeah. it's like you don't, a little kid kicks you in the leg and says, I hate you. You don't get all hurt about it. No. 
I mean, if you do, you need more help than I can give you. Um, <laughs> and you probably don't have, you know, anyway, that's, I don't mean that disrespectfully, just in case there is someone who's, but anyway, you, it's how you see. How you see determines how you succeed. Yeah. How you see. You can choose another way. And those prison bars, when you recognise them, you can change how you see them. Yeah. And you can break free. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Mm. Nice. Yeah. No, yeah, I like, love it. It's yeah, fantastic. Look, when I came home from prison, Amanda, I was unemployable. Yeah. I Can you imagine? My background is sales. Can you imagine going for job interviews and they increasingly have that question, do you have a criminal record? If yes, give details. Mm -hmm. What is that question used for? Are we allowed to say it on air? I can say it. Yeah, sure. Shortlisting. Yeah. Shortlisting. Now, I don't think I'd have any trouble getting a job now because people know me, they've seen my material and if they wanted someone to sell for them and I was in them and I wanted to stop doing this and go into sales, I think I'd do, I'd, I wouldn't have too much trouble yeah. because they can see how, how, how I am now. But back then I had to overcome that, you know, and I felt like I was tainted yeah. forever. And I had to look at that and go, well, what can I do? And so I had my book, I had to have the courage to put that out. It had to be brave. Mm -hmm. And how do you get brave? You do little scary things. Yeah. Little tiny scary things. And that's how you get braver. And I began speaking to business groups about my book and the warning signals. And I, it developed into my own speaking business. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's yeah. been a good, it's been a, I shouldn't say a good journey. It's been a long journey, but one that you've obviously taken, you know, the positives out of it. Like you said, when we began this podcast and, you know, you've had to and done very well in reinventing yourself and, you know, you're still being able to talk about the past, but being able to move forward with the future. Well, that's right. And the fact that what I can share, if it benefits other people, well, that makes it worthwhile. You know, trust me, I wanted to stay in bed for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I had three little girls who needed me. Yeah. And I had a husband who did stand by me. And I just needed to put one foot in front of the other and be there for them. But it's the keys really are to, yes, get help, get psychological help if you need to, get counselling. I did, I did. Yeah. Uh, but look for the lessons in the situation. Look at the other people in your life. Look past their behaviour and see if you can care about them, which puts you in a more in a stronger, more powerful position. And think, well, how can instead of why can't I ask, how can I? It might not be in my wheelhouse, but you know what? I can learn something and add it to my wheelhouse. Oh, I might not be in sales, but I can serve that person who needs to make a payment for something. You know, we can do, we can do more. The prison bars in our head are an illusion, but they're very real if you give in to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
that's fantastic, Trish. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Um, and we'll share um, your website um, links and, and LinkedIn links um, on the post so people can get in touch with you and have a look at those checklists and, and have a look at your book as well. Oh, that'd be lovely. They just go to speakertrishjenkins.com. It's all there. Fantastic. So thank you so much, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure, Tris. And everybody have a fabulous day.